You know, we're, we're asking our church to read through the Bible as we do every year. So we're asking you to find out for yourself what God has to say to you about His promise to you. And I can remember 41 years ago now when the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, you've got to decide what you're going to believe. You know, are you going to believe what the Word says or are you going to believe what makes sense to your mind? We have to choose to believe what God's Word says. See, His Word is the, the answer to all. His Word, His Spirit. Then I'm just going to go ahead and go into to the ministry of the Word. And, and I, I just want you to have your hearts open. And I want us to pray even right now. God, open my heart to hear truth. And I love what Pastor Robbins used to say. He said, search the, the word for yourself and see. We should be so versed in the word of God that when we hear something weird, as I say, it goes, tilt, something's not right here. Something doesn't bear witness here. But I tell you, I've had that happen to me, but when I would get into the word and search it out more, I would find out maybe I was the one that was tilting. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So we need we need to dig into the word for ourselves. Ask Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He leads us into all truth. Ask him to guide and direct every everything we do, every step, every word that we study, every prayer that we make. And he will do that. I tell you, God is so good. He is so good. And we've seen so many incredible, incredible things. So God, we just thank you, Lord. And I just pray, open our hearts to the word of truth, God. Open our hearts to your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your presence today. And we don't take it for granted, Lord. We don't cookie cutter on a Sunday, Lord. We're not going to do this Sunday like we did last Sunday, thinking we can cookie cutter you. We don't put you in a box and say you've got 10 minutes to perform or 15 minutes to perform. Father, you have the whole, the whole service, the entire service. God, you can preempt us at any point in time, and you can change whatever we're doing, God. We just want to follow your heart, follow your lead. God, we dedicate this time to you. We dedicate this word to you, Lord. God, I just thank you for every person listening here or every person listening online, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to see truth, Lord, that we would be good, fertile soil for the word of God. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, right? Everybody knows about Palm Sunday. Everybody knows this is the week that Jesus was was marching into Jerusalem triumphantly. And Jesus was in his final days. And can you imagine what must have been running through his mind? I can imagine he might have been thinking, can I do this? And I think at one point he got to the place where he said, will I do this? Can I do this? Will I do this? And I want to read out of Luke 19 as, as we get started. And, and I want us just to see the events that led up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem because uh, I was overhearing my husband talking to somebody this morning, and he was talking about the importance of the word. And every little thing in the word is important. You know, I, I love the way God just hides little nuggets of truth in the word. And and so, starting with verse twenty-eight, it says, "Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead." I don't know that I've ever done this in the 40-something years that I've been studying the Word of God. But let me tell you, yesterday the Lord said, look up those two words. And so I got into my little Greek dictionary, and gosh, it was surprising. Beth Page means house of unripe fruits. Now, you know what's going to happen on Monday. He goes into Jerusalem, and what does he do? He curses the barren fig tree. And Bethany actually means a house of humiliation, a house of unripe fruits and a house of humiliation. And you think about Jesus was going into Jerusalem to meet his destiny, which was the cross, which was utter humiliation, total and complete humiliation. And then he goes on to say, and he came and he said to his disciples, go into the village over there. And he told them, as you enter in, you will see a young donkey tied there and no one has, that no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And he rode along. The crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. So it's interesting also that Jesus asked for a colt that had never been ridden, a donkey that had never ridden. And if you know anything about horses especially, horses don't like their first first rodeo, do they? Well, donkeys aren't much better, but donkeys are different than horses. 
And I was thinking, okay, God, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why do you go in there on this blazing, beautiful stallion? Well, that represents war. Jesus wasn't going into Jerusalem representing war. He was going in representing peace. And that's why the donkey was so important here. Because the donkey is the type of animal that will only submit to someone that it fully trusts. And it's an animal of peace. And they said many times people will put donkeys in herds where there's problems between the herd members just to maintain peace and order in the herd. So isn't it interesting what God did? It has nothing really to do with my message. I just thought that was a little bit of a side note. <laughs> but Jesus comes to the town of Bethpage and Bethany, a house of unripe fruits, a house of humiliation. The next day he's going to be cursing the, the fig tree because it had all the signs of all the foliage, all the signs of being ready to bear fruit, but it was barren. Honestly, I think that's where the church is today. We have all the signs of godliness, but we have no power. All the signs, and I, I wonder, what would Jesus say? And then it says he would be also emptying out the temple because of the misuse of God's house. He'd be having his last meal with his disciples, identifying one of them as a traitor. He would be agonizing in the garden, begging God if possible with a cup of agony and shame and humiliation and pain to pass from him. But he would say, nevertheless, let your will be done. And so Jesus approaches the city. And in verse 37, it says, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke these followers for saying things like that. There's always that religious voice that wants to rise up. Quit acting like that. Act dignified. Why are you doing that? Quit shouting. Walk peacefully. Get in step. You ever, you ever been in a place like that? And then it says, but then he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He began to weep. Would Jesus weep over our nation today? This nation was birthed on the word of God. It was birthed in Christianity. Would he weep over our nation today? Why did he weep? Because it was too late. It was too late. He's, and he came closer and he wept and he said, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. I think he could look down on this nation and say, you of all people should understand my peace. You of all people should understand my holiness, my purity, my love for you, my plan, my blessing. You of all people. And then he said, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle you and close in on you from every side and they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. And your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. You did not recognize. They had missed the time of God's visitation. It was over about maybe two years ago in September, the Lord said to me, make sure you do not miss the time of my visitation. And I think that's a, that's a call for each one of us to make sure that we do not miss the time of his visitation. It can be in a Sunday service. It could be in a, 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 a more outreaching revival. It could be whatever. It could be in your home. Do not miss the time of his visitation. And it was, you know, I asked myself, why is it and how is it that we miss the times of visitation? Whether it's in a church service or whether it's in a, a revival meeting. And the first thing that comes to my mind is distractions. We are so distracted. We're so distracted. We can't sit in a church service without our phones in front of us doing whatever we do. We get up in the morning and the first thing we want to do is see if anybody sent us any emails. Anybody ever do that besides me? Like something important happened between midnight and 5 o'clock in the morning in my life? But they were like unripe fruit and I believe the church today is like unripe fruit and, and I believe it's also a place where Jesus is looking down over our nation and he's weeping. But you know, there's hope. Because we're in a day of grace. And I want to ask you, as you said in church today, last Sunday, did anyone miss the time of his visitation? Don't get in condemnation if you did. Some were healed, some wept, some gave God spontaneous praise. Did you miss the time of his visitation? Let me tell you, God's a God of second chances. God's a God of opportunity. And as Lori, the story of, that Lori was telling us, the, the part of it that is so sad is the fact that they don't know what they don't know. They do not know what they do not know. 
And so we have to pray, God, open our heart. Open our heart. The nation of Israel had had missed the time. Jesus walked the earth for three years with the nation of Israel, with the disciples, with the people, and yet they missed the time of his visitation. Let me tell you, God continues to visit. God continues to bring revival. I want to read you an excerpt out of a book that I'm reading, and it's it's about the Welsh revival, and it's by an eyewitness. And and this is referring to an incident that occurred when he was about 12 years of age, 12 to 14. He was at a boys' school. And in that boys' school, suddenly there was a a supernatural presence of God swept. And it wasn't, I don't think it was a Christian school from what I can read from the context. But the presence of God swept into that school. And for two years, they had revival. 12 and 14, they were seeking God daily in prayer. 12 years old. Let me read this. Every night during the two years I was at Silcoach, that prayer meeting was kept up by the lads half an hour after tea before preparation was given to the prayer meeting. But, and this brings me to the point of all this confession of personal experience, although the tone of the school was kept up at high level and although the prayer meeting was kept going, solid fruits of the revival lasted all the time that I was there those two years. We never had another conversion after that strange outpouring of the Spirit, which overwhelmed us all, unexpected at the beginning of the term, at the beginning of the two years. There was an unexpected, overwhelming outpouring of Holy Spirit. Those who were brought in during the... Listen to this. Those who were brought in during the revival week stood for the most part firm. Those who stood out against the revival never came in afterwards. It's a very important thing to resist the presence of God. For what I am wanting to insist upon is first that these seasons of spiritual exaltations, which we call revivals, are realities to those who come under their influence, permanently affecting their whole future lives, and secondly, that they come like the wind and vanish as mysteriously, and that those who resist them may never again feel so potent a call to a higher life. It's very important when we experience and feel the presence of God that we open up our hearts and we and the one of the most difficult things is to get rid of the old junk that we were taught that's not even accurate, the stuff that we were taught that that's not God, this can't be God, God doesn't do this anymore. What was that that, that precious lady said that it, God's got his hands full, he can't even help, he can't even do. How pitiful that is. But that was the presence of God that swept through the school of young boys. And they, those that responded were forever changed. This man later on went to experience the Welch revival, and we also have his writings of what he experienced. But there are many times of the visitation of God. Do we ever miss it? I want to ask you, do you ever miss it? Do you ever, when you're walking in your house and you feel that unction to stop what you're doing and pray, that's a visitation of God upon you. We're in the church service, and, you know, we may feel an unction of God. Don't worry about anything else. Just worship me. That's a visitation of God. Oh, no, God, we can't do that because we got this agenda. we got to be out of here by 1230 because we got stuff going on today. Do we ever find ourselves falling prey to that? That's the enemy. That's the enemy. But distractions and hard hearts and sinful patterns, stubborn sinful patterns that we refuse to give up cause us to push the presence of God. And I pray today that we would simply pray every day of our life, God, I'm awake. I'm working for you today. What are we going to do? Let my heart be open. Let me hear your voice. We only want to do what we hear the Father telling us to do. But Jesus did such a complete work on the, on the cross. And if we miss the importance, and if we miss the power that is found in, that, in his presence and in his, in his cross, we may be no better than those young lads who resisted the nudging of the Holy Spirit a hundred plus years ago. So Jesus' destiny was the cross and, and salvation can come no other way but the cross. And you're thinking, well, God is God. Why didn't you just join, have, you know, create a club and say whoever wants to be in this club can sign here. You know, why didn't he do it a lot easier? Why did he have to give his only son? Why did he have to give his life? Why did he have to be beaten and broken? It was God's way because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. From the very beginning in the Old Testament, he set that pattern. And he was set a, setting a pattern of the one who was to come. So now I'm ready for my message. Are you ready? The power in the cross, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. 
So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and delivered to us by those who heard him speak? What makes us think that we can discount and discredit this great salvation that has been made available to us? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Romans 5, 18 says, Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. If you're reading, we've said this for weeks, if you're reading through the scripture with us, aren't you glad? Aren't you saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did? Galatians 1, 4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world. See, we're pilgrims and that we should not fall prey to the influences of the evil one. And I'm going to show you in a minute why that's so important that we understand what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 4.25 says he was handed over to die because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with God. In other words, we walk righteous before God. He was, he was crucified for our sins. He was raised for our resurrected power life that we can have in walking in victory. So what did God accomplish with the cross? Do we understand the power that resides in the cross of Christ? Do we understand the power that still resides in the, in the cross of Christ? Do we understand it's just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago? Do we understand that every one of us must pass to God by way of the cross of Christ? We don't get to him unless we go by the cross. There is no other name in heaven whereby men can be saved but that one name. There's no other name, no other way. Signing our name on a sheet of paper does not make us believers. Amen? The cross opened the door to the kingdom of victorious living. How many want to live victorious here? I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to live unvictoriously, right? I'm not going to live. We walk in victory. Do we understand the power of what the cross did for us? That we can walk in victory. That we can walk above and beyond the, the entrapments of the world and the influences of the world. And we need to quit making excuses. Well, everybody's doing it, so it's okay. No, if it's not in the Word, it's not okay. Simple, Right? The cross was God's tool for salvation for his people, but it was his weapon against the devil. It was a tool he used for salvation, but it was his weapon that he used against the devil to defeat all the powers and all the principalities. And we talk about breaking every chain. No believer should be walking in bondage today. Not a single one should be walking in bondage. If it is, it's only because we have taken that chain and snapped that lock. Once and for all, one act for every person who would ever live in the earth. Once and for all. One act to shut down the powers of the evil. One act. The cross would open the doors for all of the promises of God. And that the word tells us in Christ all of the promises are yes and amen. All the promises are fulfilled in Christ. The cross is the way into the kingdom. It's the way into the kingdom. And it sets the stage for the rest of our lives. What have we done with the cross? And if we've tried to get to Christ without the cross, we don't know him. We have not seen him. He's not on this side of the cross. He's on the other side of the cross. So I want to stop just a second before we go on. And I want us to pray for everyone listening or even maybe here. That maybe you haven't made that right choice. Or maybe you've kind of slipped away. Or maybe you you were on this side of the cross, but that back over here. With some activity. The enemy kind of pulled you back and he influenced you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us. So, Father, I just thank you, Holy God, for the cross. I thank you for the blood, Lord Jesus. And, Father, if there's any here, any here, Lord, who has not made you the Lord of their life, Father, I pray the convicting power of Holy Spirit. Lord, your word never condemns. Your word convicts. The devil condemns. You convict and you bring hope with conviction. So, Father, I thank you for every precious person in this place. I thank you for the plan you have for their life, and that plan can only be satisfied on the other side of the cross. I thank you that every day of their lives was written in your book, Lord, that you had only plans of good and welfare and blessing and prosperity. God, is on the other side of the cross that we find that. Thank you, Father. And, Lord, we bless you. So what difference can the cross make in our lives? What difference can it make? Colossians 2, I love this scripture. And I'm going to start a little ahead of where I really want to end up, but I want to start with verse 6. So we've all accepted the Lord now, right? We've all got our hearts clean. We're on the other side of the cross. 
So just imagine that this is the Apostle Paul. And he says, okay, now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus, you must continue to follow him. That word follow in the Greek is peripateia, which means to walk. You conduct your life in a way that imitates Christ. You conduct your life in a way that that uh, that duplicates what he would do if he were living in the earth. You know, he told us when we go and make disciples, what did he tell us to do? Go get them saved and leave. No, he didn't say that. He said, you teach them to do everything I've taught you. You teach them to observe. You teach them to observe. That means you walk. You teach them to walk the way I taught you to walk. It's not just saying, you know, saying a prayer and getting up from the altar and going back and nothing's changed in our life. There's something we have to do afterwards. So Paul was saying, you must continue to follow him. You must continue. He said, let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. You will overflow with thanksgiving. Why do we overflow with thanksgiving? Because of all the great things God has done for us. Now, does that mean we never have a struggle? No. It just means we're victorious in the struggle. How many is praying for somebody? How many is praying for children or grandchildren? I was awake at 12 o'clock right there. My, a couple of them popped into my mind. I was calling out everything I could think. And I'm just trusting God to, to take care of it, right? That's what we have to do because they have to come the same way we do. I wish we could just kind of knock them over the head, give them an injection. (laughs) Not the flu injection, but give them an injection of holiness and righteousness and have their minds open to the truth of the word of God. But they have to come the way we did. And I just pray for Holy Spirit conviction. I love the Holy Spirit. He reveals to heal. And when he reveals something, whether it's sin or whatever in our life, he only wants to heal it. He never wants to, the devil's the condemner. Listen to this. Now, especially in the day that we're living in, you think, Paul, did you need to write this 2,000 years ago? Well, how much more appropriate is it for today? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. There's a whole lot of humanistic thinking going on. There's a whole lot of doctrines of demons that are going on. That's why you need to know the word right? We must be in the word. We can't fall prey to this way everybody's doing. It just makes sense to me. Get rid of that baby because it's going to be inconvenient for you. That's the doctrine of the world and of demons. You know, if you don't know what gender you are, that's confusion. That's a curse. The word of God is clear. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's not even in my notes. I don't know where that comes from. But anyway, I'm telling you, we have got to know the truth and the truth will set us free. The truth will set us free. It says, for, Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. And you can't know Jesus without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. He gives us the mind of God. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And this is why it can tell us in 1 John 3, 6, that anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning has never known him. They've never had that spiritual, spiritual circumcision take place in their lives. We talk all the time, pastors, Pastor Zach and I especially, we talk about why was everybody's salvation experience not radical like ours? We don't understand that, but we don't question anybody, you know, about that. But man, God just zapped us and, you know, it was like once we were in darkness, and now we're in light. And I know many of you had that same experience. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad he did that. Instead of having to struggle through and work through and 15 steps here and five steps there and three years of counseling here, Holy Spirit does it just like that, right? So God is good, but anyone who continues, if you're comfortable sinning, you don't know him is what it's saying. Let me put that in a paraphrase. If you're comfortable sinning, you don't know him. You don't know him. There should be, now does that mean we never sin? You you might make a mistake, but the Holy Spirit is not going to let you get by with it. He's going to give you that little mm, like that, and you're going to say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I was talking to someone not too long ago who was hooked on pornography, and he said to me, love God with all his heart. I know he did. Every time I'd look at it, I'd think, oh, God, this is horrible, and he would erase it. Oh, God, this is horrible, and he would erase it. And he said, I would walk by a particular computer, and it would call my name. It would call my name. You know, pornography is one of the most egregious addictions in, in, in history and life. 
It's the most difficult one to break, but holy God can break it. It's difficult because we try to use man's methods to break it when it takes God's method to break it. I've seen people set free just like that. But we've got to be willing to walk away from it. Just like a food addiction or just like any other addiction, a technology addiction. I want to challenge us if we could just go a week without using our technology except for absolutely what we need to for our work and all of that. Can anyone do that? I'm I'm not going to look at anyone. I'm not even looking at me. I'm not sure I can do it. We love our technology, don't we? But we have died with him and we've also been raised with him. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, for we were, we have been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into this is, I switched over to the passion. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state. See, Ephesians 2 tells us we once were this way, but we're not this way anymore. Now we're all a work in progress, right? We don't get born again and everything's wonderful. And we're all a work in progress. We're continually becoming conformed into his image. You see, that's why we need Holy Spirit, our counselor, our guide, our teacher. And a lot of times it's difficult for people because they were taught certain things are okay. And they think that it's okay until the Holy Spirit can say, no, that's not really okay. That's not really good. And so we have to get into the word of God. We have to allow Holy Spirit to reveal and show things to us. So it says, this realm of death describes our former state where we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death. Aren't you glad? Never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. He canceled out, listen, this is so important. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. He canceled out every, what part of every don't we, you know, do we have? He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. You know, we deal a lot with the court system, and so we know something about arrest warrants with some of our clientele. They may tell you when there's an arrest warrant for you, the, the police and the legal authorities have the right to go get you. Before Christ came, the devil had a right to go get us. But he says right now he has canceled every legal charge against us every arrest warrant that has been null and void you know we talk to attorneys and and we talk to uh police people or you know the sheriffs and all that and they'll say we have stricken the warrant and what that means is it's no longer it's no longer active it's no longer a legal warrant and so it says so jesus he erased it all our sins our stained soul he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved they've been expunged if you know what that means, they've been expunged. You know, if you, anybody has, a, well, I don't have none of you, but maybe some of you, I don't know, but if you, I don't want to be too presumptuous, but sometimes I'll hear, especially from some of the guys we work with, I want to get a job, but they go back and they check my record and they can't get it because of this, or I can't get it because of that. Let me tell you, when Jesus cleared our record, he expunged it. The devil can't even find it. So why do you want to stay in it? Why do you want to keep living in your past, in your junk? It's gone. It's erased. It's no longer there. Well, what about what I did yesterday? Repent, and it's gone. But repent, repent with an honest heart. Quit living in the past. God's not in the past. He's in our present and our future. And that's one of the problems people have is they cannot get out of their past. He deleted it, and it cannot be retrieved. Now, this is in red. I put this in red for a reason. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. So what does the devil do? He says, I got something against Donna I want to bring up. And he goes to the cross and there he's up. No, can't do that because it's already been canceled. I got something against Deborah I want to bring up. No, it's, it's been canceled. Can't do that. Can't do that. Aren't you glad? And then it goes on to say, now this is the power, this is the power part of this. You thought that was powerful enough. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and all the principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and all their spiritual power to accuse us. 
and by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. Not only did he strip them, he, he just smudged in their face. And that's what they used to do in the old military times. Whoever was the victorious leader, the general or the king, would lead the procession of those who had been defeated. And he led them down the streets in the middle of town. And that's what Jesus did to the enemy. He was not their prisoner. They were his. They were his. Let me tell you something. The devil should not be having you in bondage. You should have him in bondage. Jesus has stripped him of power. And the question I have for God is, this is why I say, as the church goes, so goes the nation. Look at all the evil that's taking place in our nation. The devil has gotten a foothold. If the church walked in this authority right here, the the devil would stand no chance in this nation. I don't care for one-tenth of a percent of what this population is. If the church understood this, the devil would not have a chance to do what he's doing in our nation, to murder babies. To, to traffic children. He would not have that opportunity. Not have that opportunity. You know, there's something called the Fourth Amendment. And the Fourth Amendment was something that was established way back. 1780-something, I believe. But it was written to require a probable cause for arrest. A probable cause. Now, the devil can get probable cause if we open the door. First Peter 5, 8 tells us that. And let me, let me just read what it says. Did I write that down? I don't think I did, but I can quote it. He said, be, be sober, be vigilant, be on your guard, because the devil's walking around looking for a way to devour you. He's looking for a way to you hand him over your weapon that Jesus took from him and to give him authority back into your life. Do we understand that? See, these are powerful truths that we can walk. If we don't understand this, we can walk in defeat rather than victory in everything we do. Do we expect victory? Do we expect blessing? Or do we expect curse? You know what? The curse is only an evil assignment against us. The curse is an evil assignment. And many believers live under the symptoms of the curse. You don't have to tell me, yeah, amen on that, because I know it. I meet them all the time, every day. Many believers live under the curse of the devil because they walk in disobedience And they don't know how to take authority. They may not necessarily be in disobedience as much as they are in passive obedience. Where they don't understand. And the devil's just looking for a way. He's dealing with their emotions. He's he's keeping them in the past. My daddy did this. My mama did that. The judicial system did this. I hate this person. I'm praising God every Sunday. But see, I've got all that. No, the devil is looking for a way to enter in. So how can I know if you're living? Or how can we all know if we're living under the curse? Let's just go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28. These are just the ones I came up with, and I'm sure there's maybe you could pull out more. But from verses 1 through 13, it says, this, these are the blessings that are going to follow those who believe. And it's all the wonderful blessings of God. We're going to be blessed. Our children are going to be blessed. You know, our bodies are going to be blessed. All that great things. But for some reason, he only needed 13 verses for that, but he needed 54 verses to talk about the curse because he wants to make it really clear what the curse looks like. So these are symptomatic of living under an evil assignment, okay? And I want you just to think, do I have any of these operating in my life? Number, These are just, like I said, I just went through them. Everything in your life looks cursed. Nothing goes right and life events seem sabotaged. I've seen believers that self-sabotage everything they do. It's not that they're bad people. They can't get out of the past. They're still blaming this person or blaming that person. They cannot get out of the past. So does everything in our life look cursed? I, I spoke with a lady and I've told you about her who was married four times. And what did she say? She said, I sabotaged my marriage because I never felt that I was good enough for my husband husbands why because of what her father did to her from 14 to or 9 to 14 he he molested and raped her from 9 to 14 she said i saw myself as dirty broken and not good enough so what did she do she lived under the curse and she self-sabotaged everything she had i've seen it happen in businesses i've seen it happen in jobs where people will believe the lie of the enemy and they sabotage the next one is your prayers are not being answered. And I've given you the scripture references. These are all in the uh, on the podcast notes. Your prayers are not getting answered. 
I know I'm believing God, but I'm just not ever seeing an answer to my prayer. I can't seem to break through. I can't, it's like a ceiling over my head. Mental and emotional problems. Goodness sakes, where's Terry? We have got, we have just, it's just skyrocketed. What was that, Anita, you said yesterday, 46, somebody said 46% increase in trafficking over the last year or something like that. What damage is that doing to those precious children? Wayne said within 24 to 48 hours, they will have been turned around 30 to 40 times. Can you imagine what that does to an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old? The church needs to stand up and do something and, and, just, and quit just saying, oh, that's, a, that's really bad. Well, do something about it. Let me, oh, while I'm thinking about the house next door, open door ministry, they're having open house today. What they are doing is they're bringing in girls who have been uh, aged out of foster care. That's, you know, that's the church's house. We're letting them use it free of charge because we want to be able to put into the community. We want to be able to rescue. They might have six girls, but let me tell you, those six, it's making a difference, isn't it? Bill with a starfish you talked about yesterday. Who's it? If may, you may not reach them all, but it's making a difference for six or eight or whatever they have in there. So emotional, depression, anxiety, confusion, frustration, mental disorders, diagnoses. All the time we hear it. Now, by the way, this is in scripture. Repeated cycles of sickness that do not get healed or respond to treatment especially cycles of sickness in families. Well, you know, it runs in my family. Well, it needs to stop with you, right? Heart disease runs in your family. Let it stop with you. Cancer runs in your family. Let it stop with you. What do you need to do? God, give me a plan. Give me wisdom. What do I need to do to abort this generational curse in my life? Lacking vision and a sense of destiny for your life, feeling oppressed and helpless. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, ask him. Every day of your life is written in his book. Do something. Put your hand to something. Many times the reason people don't know what God wants them to do is because they can't find out sitting there on the couch watching TV and drinking beer or Pepsi. (laughs) Is everyone laughing guilty? God says without a vision, people perish. Let me tell you something. God has a vision for your life. Every single one of you were created for greatness. There's seeds of greatness inside of every one of you. And God put them there. God knows what they are. And God will develop. Only can in God can you find out who you really should be. Only in God. You know, I went into chemistry and science and was happy there. Until I got born again, and then I realized this is not where God wants me to, what he wants me to do. I could have stayed there the rest of my life and been happy, probably retired now at the beach. I remember when, when 05, when the Lord said, you know, and we're, you need to be pastoring the church. And my daughter said, Mom, I thought you were going to the beach. I said, sorry. Let me tell you, God's got a plan for you. God's got a destiny for every single one of you. Just don't be successful at the wrong thing, okay? Do not be successful at the wrong thing. Breakdown of marriages and homes. Never enjoy the fruit of your own labors, and it seems as if your fruit is always for somebody else. You thought I'm done, don't you? But I'm not. Here's some more. Having what is rightfully yours stolen with no sense of relief. And that can be... On a personal level, it can be on a governmental level. Children who are captive to bondages and sinful lifestyles. And we know our children have to make their decision, but I'm telling you, we don't, we're not satisfied. We're not going to settle for our children. Well, that's just the way this generation is. No, it's not. This generation is called by God. Me and my household are going to be saved, and we're going to go, we're going to clutch them out of the hands of hell and out of the pit of the devil. We're going to pull them out. Regardless of where we have to go and what we have to do, right? I, I think I told y'all that my granddaughter moved to Los Angeles, which didn't make me happy at all. Just keeps me up a little longer praying. But what she didn't know was I had a friend in Los Angeles who has a church. And I already called my friend and she said, don't worry, I got it. So I'm trusting God and my friend to bring change. And my granddaughter's a precious girl. She's just, you know, caught up with that age stuff, you know. 
So children who are captive in bondage, others will others seem to take what you work for, frustration and oppression, fill your life. I should have gotten that promotion. Well, why didn't you? See, the devil steals things from us. Lack of prosperity. You work, but you never seem to get ahead. Every one of us should be so blessed that there is, when I say we need to, there's, there's a, a, a house in Kenya that we worked on this past summer. When I say that, you say, how much can I give? Where can I give? And you guys have done tremendous. You know, you basically built that house and now putting walls and stairs in there. It's this house next door that we have that's debt-free that we can say, here, just take it. We don't have to worry about commercializing it. Well, you've got to pay your rent. No, it's kingdom. Let them use this. Let these precious girls. She, she put a thing on Facebook that said within, what was it, so many hours, a certain percentage of these girls would be trafficked or in prostitution because they don't have a place to go. And we need more. She needs, a, she needs a house for boys that are aging out of foster care. We don't want them on the streets. What if it was your child? All these young girls that we helped in Kenya, you guys did it. You know, you think about what they went through, the mutilation. And because of just a dollar bill, now they're safe. Aren't you excited that, that we could have a hand in that? It's only because you walk in the prosperity. We have such a blessed people here. Uh, let's see, where am I? Interruption of fruitfulness, unexpected losses. Never receive promotion or affirmation, a loss of influence. Nobody listens to me. Well, are you saying something worth listening to? Do you, do you win the right? Do you earn the right to speak into people's lives? Or are you hitting them over here with a Bible verse? Tell you, somebody on the street doesn't necessarily need a Bible verse. They need to encounter the presence of God. That's what we need to think about carrying to them. You talk to somebody that's hot, hired on drugs, they don't, they don't care about what the Scripture says. All they want to know is if you've got something for me better. Give them a high greater than the high they've known. Always in debt, the tail and not the head in life. Debt is a curse, by the way. Lacking in everything. And you have a mindset of doubt and insecurity, a lack of hope in the future. Just like Lord, that poor lady. I don't know if God can do this or not. I'm not sure God can do this. See, there's doubt. Do you doubt that God's going to do what his word says he's going to do? Do you doubt he's going to heal you? Do you doubt he's got a plan for your life? Do you doubt he's going to save your children? See, that's a curse. That's an evil assignment against. No, they might not be looking like I want them to look, but I'm telling you, the word of God promises me that they're going to be free. Promises me that. You know, my business may not look like it's supposed to be, but God promising prosperity. We may not have the help we need, but God's sending someone in the door on Monday mornings. See, that's how we have to think. God will send the people we need. What do we do? We go out and grab somebody and they turn out to be worse than you know, we're having no one, right? So we have to live free from the curse. Galatians 3.13. For Christ has rescued us from the curse promised by the law. The very fact that we have sin in our life means we're automatically under the law. We're automatically under the curse. And the law, what, does, what was the purpose of the law? Just to show us our sin. It was to show us that we could not do this without God's help. We could not do it without the help of God. We have been redeemed or rescued from the curse pronounced by the law. Who he, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Galatians 3.29, it says, And since you've been united to Christ the Messiah, you're now Abraham's child, and you inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. What are the kingdom promises? What are the kingdom promises? What does God say? He said, I heal all your diseases. What you put your hands to prospers. I give you great favor. I surround you with favor. You've got warring angels assigned for you. You and your household are going to be saved. Peace, I'm leaving my peace with you. I give you supernatural gifts and abilities. The devil has nothing in you. You, ha you can stand on his head and stomp him in the ground, right? These are the promises of the kingdom. We said we, because we belong to Christ, have inherited every one of these. So quit walking around poor-mouthing and, and woe is me and I'm so depressed. Well, get undepressed. I'm so anxious. Get unanxious. <laughs> Don't take a pill. Put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Galatians five nineteen through 21. Now, we, before that, we're, we know all the things, the fruit of the spirit of the love, joy, peace, all this stuff. We love it. We walk in that. And that if we follow in Christ, we have this fruit because we are a part of Christ. The fruit is automatically a result in our life. 
But then he goes on to say, but when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. And remember, the, like, well, I thought the nature was stripped away. Well, the sinful nature is like a virus that lies there dormant. Remember, the devil's walking around looking for a way. The devil's walking around looking for a way to come into your life and stir up something. That's what he wants to do. Well, that, that virus is there. That sinful nature is there. And what does he do? He causes a sweet little thing to walk by you. And instead of looking straight ahead, you like that. And you back that again. And then you follow all the way over. We had a conversation about that this morning. <laughs> no, he was not doing that. We were just talking about, you know, how people do that. <laughs> Did you want to say something and clear up your name? <laughs> He said he used to do that when he was 20-something, but then he met Jesus. He quit doing it. That was the whole thing. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at. Okay, so the sinful desires of the nature of the flesh, the results are clear. Sexual immorality. That is one of the greatest tools the enemy is using in our nation, is sexual immorality. And then he goes on to say impurity. You know, I don't do those things. Well, do you watch those people that do those things? Do you applaud those people that do those things? Do you take up for people that do those things? Do you pray for them that do those things? So we love everybody, but we're not going to tell them, that's okay, don't worry, God's okay with that. You know, it's a new day. We don't do that, do we? Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. That's anything that's more important than God, including our iPhones. Sorcery. Witchcraft. Hostility. A lot of anger in the nation today. A lot of anger in the body of Christ today. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. What's in it for me? Oh, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. Uh, how much are you going to pay me in the church? Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's clear. Why do we miss this? Why do we miss this? Well, I'm believing for the promises. Not if you're doing this. You might, you're smoking something, right? He clearly says if you're doing these things, you're not going to inherit the promises of God for the kingdom. Then verse 24, and I want you to think about this. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. See, Jesus first nailed the accusation against us, but now we have to nail every sinful passion to the cross. You know, in Romans it tells us we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin, right? So when you have a moment where maybe you have a little jealousy going on, jealousy is a sin, by the way, because it creates division in the body. I want it. I deserve it more than you. Why am I not getting the attention? And, you know, I have moments where I have these things come up, and I have train, I'm have i training my mind. I have trained my mind. To, no, I reckon myself dead to that. And so what I do, I'm taking it and I'm nailing it to the cross, and I walk away and leave it there. Because when the devil comes up and says, oh, Donna was jealous. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's been canceled. Or maybe you struggle with an addiction. See, that's part of an evil assignment against you. And there's nothing wrong with struggling with it as long as you recognize God is a source for healing and deliverance. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. That's a big sin in the body of Christ. Food addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be. No, I reckon myself dead to that. And instead of walking by that computer that's calling your name, I was speaking to a young girl a few years back who was hooked on crack cocaine. She said, Donna, it literally calls my name. I hear it calling me. And we prayed, and just like that, she was delivered, never to touch it again. Just like that. She was in a psychological ward at the time. Never again. She said, what happened? I said, it's the power of God. So you can go to all these self-help programs. You can go to three and four groups a week. But when you reckon in your mind, God, holy, because spirit of God is going to come in and he's going to work with you. He's, he's the only one that can breathe. So what do we do? I'm nailing it to the cross. I'm nailing my anger. I'm nailing my resentment. I'm nailing my doubt. I'm nailing all the bitterness I have against mom and dad and Uncle Joe and my 
four or five previous spouses or whoever they might be, or the person on the job that passed me over for a promotion. I'm nailing that bitterness to the cross because I'm telling you it's going to rob you of your blessings. It's going to rob you of your blessings. Some of you need to nail a spirit of poverty to the cross. You've been convinced that you're never going to be any better because nobody in your family is ever better. Nobody. So why do I think I'll be better? You have dreams. You have aspirations. The devil has stolen them. Two weeks, we're going to start a series called I Am Joseph on Wednesday night. It's all about dreams and destiny. It's all about dreams and destiny. Let me tell you something. If you can dream it, and if it's, if it's godly, you can have it. You can have it. I love our son. He said, I love our daughter too, but I, our son was just special son. And we used to tell him when he was 14 and 15, he would have all these dreams. I said, Chris, if you can think it, you can have it. And he's doing today what he's always wanted to do. Doing, and, and he's because he's pushed through, but let me tell you, it hasn't been easy. It has not been easy. But he's doing what he wanted to do. And now he's got another dream and another vision. And he's going to push through and he's going to get that. If you can think it, if you can dream it, let me tell you, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, whatever they are. But you've got to delight in him. You know, you don't delight in taking your neighbor's wife or husband. That's not God. But if you delight in him, in God, God's going to direct your heart to take, to have those dreams and visions that he wants you to have. What are they? See, the devil's wanting to stop you. He's wanting to convince you that you're not good enough, that you're not enough. You've got to nail that to the cross. That's a lie. That is a lie. Every one of you should have a little piece of paper and a pencil. Think about these list of curses or evil assignments against you. Where right now in your life is something missing that God has promised you? Maybe it's peace. Then you need to nail unrest to the cross. Maybe it's emotional stuff. You need to nail it to the cross. Maybe it's fear. Nail it to the cross. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to fill out your sheet. Don't put your name on it. I want you to fold it. And up here we have nails called thumbtacks and I want you to bring your 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 warrant we're going to strike some warrants today we're going to strike some warrants off of your life and the devil no longer has probable cause to come in and to hold you back from any promise of God so let's take a couple of moments Sometimes it's just a lie that you've believed all your life because you've been told that lie. You've been told you're not enough. You're not good enough. Let me tell you, God has made you more than able, more than capable, more than enough. I tell you, I wake up sometimes two and three in the morning and I get my, you know, I had the best grandchildren in the world, right? And don't you all think that, yeah, you, <laughs> Lori has the best, I have the best, Deborah has the best, Bill and Susan have the best, Aubrey and Joe Amber have the best. But see, that's the way God thinks about us. I walk up to my grandchildren and I'll say, I'll say, uh, Zoe, I love you the most. And now they've called on, they say, but maybe you tell all of us that. But see, I do. But let me tell you, God tells each of you, He said, Man, I love you the most. Deborah, I love you the most. Kevin, God loves you the most. And He didn't put you down here to struggle. He didn't put you down here to walk in fear. He's going to bring you out of every problem and every situation you have. You just
just trust in Him and hold on. Nail that fear to the cross. So I want you to, I want you just to line up and I want you to come and grab a thumbtack. I don't want you to nail to the cross that lie, that fear, that sin, that curse, that fear. in this place. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, last week we had a someone had the boldness to testify and ask God to forgive them for being angry at God. Because we don't understand sometimes when things happen. We lose those that we love. And we've trusted God and we believe God and we prayed and we prayed. We just have to let go. God is good.
So, um, I just felt like I needed to say something. With all this, um, the enemy will still try to... He'll still try to come at you. He's a punk. But one thing that definitely can't stop him. Just giving a praise. And especially one word. Hallelujah. At a church I went to before, they said that whenever you say the word hallelujah, the enemy has to stop and acknowledge the glory of God. He has no choice. He has to. It's a way things went. So by lifting that word, by speaking that word and meaning and believing that it has power behind it, you can repel any attack the enemy throws at you. So why not just do that right now? Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the freedom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Thank you, Caleb. Caleb's going to get his mountain. Caleb's going to get his mountain. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want you to go out of here walking in freedom. And when the enemy tries to rear raise up something, rear up his old ugly head, I want you to say, and you remind you of a bitterness, a pain, a hurt. No, I'm dead to that. It's on the cross. Not only is it on the cross, it's been stricken. It's been expunged. There's no more probable cause for him to come after us unless we, like Caleb said, he's going to try. But you know, what? You, no, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. That's on the cross. You need to take that up with Jesus. Amen. Now, Kathy is asking, if you will, just take the time to walk through the house over next door. It starts at 1130, so open right now. She would just love for you to see, number one, what God has done, because I think everything in that house was either donated or worked through sales or whatever. And uh, it's just beautiful what, what they have done. People donate their time, their you know their money. But these are young girls that are going to be finding a home and you can feel the presence of God when you walk in. Of course, we've been, oh, I said, well, there's a lot of prayer went on in that building for 30 years. We used to meet on Mondays and pray over there. Let me tell you, this is what God will do. See what God will do when you release what he gave you anyway for the purpose of his kingdom. So God, we thank you. We pray blessing upon every person here today. Thank you, God, that we can walk in freedom devil you might as well take a back seat because nothing in us belongs to you you have no power over us we kick off every chain every chain in the name of jesus pastor zach all right before um you guys leave i just want to share the announcements with you guys because sorry We um, had some changes, so I just want you to check them out real quick. When the announcements is over, head next door, see what's going on over there. We love you guys. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Impact Church. It is an honor to have all of you here with us, either in person or online. At this time, we would like to share with you what's going on around the church. And we have two awesome individuals that are ready to share. So let's check it out. Hello and welcome to Impact Church. Uh, We have a few announcements for you today. But first things first, we have a movie night. It is the movie Breakthrough. Here's telling me that it doesn't break through the ceiling or the floor. Uh, It is going to be on the 9th at 7 p.m. What kind of a joke was... Are you okay? Is that coffee? Water. Oh. That's the last time you ate your bread pudding. That wasn't even mine, and you know it. Yeah. Anyway, we have a young adults group in the second and fourth weeks of April, so instead of communion wafers and grape juice, we'll have instant ramen and Red Bull. Yes, and uh, we do have one more announcement, but I think we have, uh, I, th- I don't think we're qualified for this, so I think we're going to have to pass it off to someone else. Hey there, everyone. Impact Youth is launching a new service called Impact Ignite. 
This event's going to be on every fourth Friday of the month at 7 p.m. So the first one is April 23rd, of course, at 7 p.m. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have games. We're going to have desserts. Okay, what are you going to do without desserts? And then we're going to have a lot of fun and much more. So you can go ahead and tell your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor kids about this awesome event on April 23rd called Impact Ignite. Also, if you would like to volunteer for this, all you have to do is see Joe, Melissa, or myself. We'll get your information and we'll go from there. We will see everyone on April 23rd. All right, everyone. Let's go ahead and give Caleb and Jeremy a hand or a thumbs up on social media. They do an awesome job for us and we appreciate them. I would like to thank you all for watching our announcements and we will see you next time.